Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardamus, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you a conversation with Monique Dusson from the Center for Biblical Unity. This conversation was originally part of our Rise Up Summit, our free online conference for Christian educators, which if you missed this past October, you are not going to want to miss it next year. So mark your calendar. October 21st and 22nd is when the summit will be tentatively next year. You can get details at riseupchristianeducators.com. Before we dive into this session, just want to give you a little bit of background. If you've been listening to the podcast for long, you might recall back in episode 151, about over a little over a year ago, Monique was on talking about the difference between the gospel and critical race theory. Well, since then, critical race theory has become one of these politically charged buzzwords that gets thrown around and really um, is challenging in many ways. Our intention in this episode is not to dive very much into what is critical race theory. So if you're kind of struggling with that, thinking, I don't understand this. What does it have to do with the gospel? Does it does it go against the gospel? Is it part of the gospel? I recommend going back and listening to episode 151. You can find it back in your podcast feed or go through teachfortheheart.com slash 151. You might want to start with that episode first because it kind of lays some important background of the two different approaches to racial unity. One is the gospel approach and one is critical race theory, and they're actually very different. But in this episode, in this conversation, our goal was to take the next step. In that first conversation, it was really about what is the difference. And some people misunderstood that and almost thought that it meant, well, are you saying that we like shouldn't do anything? Like, what are you saying? You're standing, you know, you're cautioning again about this, but then what are we supposed to do instead? So that's why I love this conversation because it's all about what do we do instead? What does a biblical approach to racial unity look like? And as we talk about this, one more thing I want to share before we dive into the conversation. When we think about difficult topics of any sort, but this is an example, racial unity is one of them. There's almost two realms that this goes to. The first is we need to think about this, first of all, as believers, We need to think about what does this look like within the church? Because each one of us, if you're a Christian teacher, you are are part of the church, right? You are part of the body of Christ. And so we need to first square our mind with what is biblical. What does that look like? Then the next question is, how do I take this out to my students, right? How do I engage with this in the public sphere, okay? So I think it's helpful to realize there's almost like two parts. In this conversation, I don't recommend, especially if you teach in a public school, don't try to immediately jump to, well, what does this look like in my classroom? We need to first understand what does the Bible say? What does a biblical approach look like? What is What should it look like amongst believers? Once we understand that, then we can start asking the questions, okay, well, what does this look like in the public sphere where people don't believe the Bible. So this conversation is primarily focused on that first part. What? How should we be thinking about this as Christians? And then at the end, we start a little bit to move into that, well, what does this look like in the public sphere? But just wanted to clarify that, that you have to, no matter where you teach, public or Christian school, we have to first understand for ourselves what does the Bible say? How should I be thinking biblically um, And before we try to ap- apply it to our classroom? So I can't wait to hear what you guys think about this episode. We're going to dive right into it now. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Rise Up Summit. I'm here today with Monique Dusson from the Center uh, for Biblical Unity. Monique, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. 
Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Yes, we've done. Um, we've had a couple conversations before, and we'll definitely link to those so you guys can check out that background. But I'm so excited today uh, to be talking with Monique about this really important topic about how do we pursue racial unity uh, from a biblical perspective. And I just alluded to this, but I actually had a conversation with Monique on the Teach for the Heart podcast about a year or so ago about some of the pitfalls of critical race theory. And we're gonna we're gonna re- link we're gonna link to that. So you guys, if you want some background or you feel like I, you know, I, I want to understand more about this, you can listen to that conversation. But the goal of today's session here is to kind of go beyond, um, beyond just, you know, what are we avoiding and actually talk about what is the biblical path forward. And so this session is for all believing teachers, whether you're in public school or private school, um, you're going to benefit from having, we all benefit from having a biblical understanding of this topic. And so we're going to talk some uh, at the end about how it specifically applies, um, but we're going to start kind of with some overview. So Monique, thank you again for being here. Before we get into this, can you give us a quick overview of your work at the Center for Biblical Unity and what inspired you to write a small group curriculum called Reconciled, which we'll talk about some more as we get into it. Yes. So at the Center for Biblical Unity, our mission is one race, one people, one savior. And that's truly what we believe. We believe in a historic Adam and Eve. And so if you believe in a historic Adam and Eve, then truly there is one race of people. We are all connected. And as believers, we believe that the Lord is pulling together one new people based on Ephesians, um, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2 looking at the new group of people that he has created um, or is creating that the dividing wall has been, has been destroyed. And we are now one new people. We are reconciled as brothers and sisters in Christ um, and looking at some of, you know, second Corinthians five and things like that. And then we have one savior and that is Jesus. And so that is our come from now. We, we desire to speak out on issues of race, justice, and unity from that position. And so I used to uphold um, the framework of critical race theory. I believed in that. And, you know, you already alluded to our podcast, so people can go and check that out. But in coming out of critical race theory, I thought that there had to be a biblical way forward. We couldn't just, you know, have issues of race or racism, injustice and things like that without the the word speaking into these things, if the word truly gives us all we need for life and godliness, then the word must speak into some of these things. And so if the word speaks into it, and I believe it does, how do we talk about that from a biblical perspective? And so that's why we exist. We exist to have safe and sane conversations about race, justice, and unity from a completely biblical standpoint. I love that so much. And I was so excited to see uh, when you're coming out with a small group uh, curriculum. So we'll link to that too, if you guys want to check that out, because um, that's, it starts in the church, right? It starts with us having conversations amongst each other. So yeah, if you're looking for resources and curriculum, um, Reconciled is just an amazing um, resource. You you talk in Reconciled, we're kind of going to flesh out some of these ideas. You talk in Reconciled about how the foundation for authentic racial unity comes from being reconciled to God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, and then walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you share a little bit, like, why is it so important that we start with that foundation? 
Well, I think scripture has to be the foundation for all things. So it has to be the foundation for our definitions, the foundation for um, the principles that we see in culture. When we are, when we're looking at what are some of the principles or tenets that culture is putting forward, do they align with scripture? Are they overlapping? Like, how do we see, like, do I, do I find these things in scripture at all? And so we start in Reconcile and Reconcile is a six week curriculum. In week one, we start out looking at racial reconciliation. That is, I believe, a term that culture and the church are putting forward. And they do it from the position of 2 Corinthians 5, 18, um, probably 16 to 18, that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. But what they do is they say that, well, that reconciliation is racial reconciliation. And it's not. That reconciliation is to tell sinful people that there is a way back to God, that reconciliation has been afforded to them through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, because that reconciliation is talking about sinful hearts back to a holy God, it is not racial reconciliation. So one, we want to debunk that myth. But when I look over at Ephesians, what I see is that because of the reconciliation available from heart to God, I am now a part of, or I am now brought in to the family of God. And as we are brought into the family of God, we are reconciled together as brothers and sisters. That is regardless of skin color. It's regardless of ethnicity. It is an ontological supernatural reality that you are my sister. Just because you don't bear the same level of melanin that I do does not um, negate what Christ has done and what the scriptures say about us. So if we are truly reconciled, truly reconciled together, we if we understand that we can then talk about, well, how do we walk in unity? Yeah. Wow. That's so good. Um, so we have to start from understanding. We have to start with that reconciliation to God because it's through him that we're truly reconciled to one another. And so as believers, that's our foundation rather, rather than going to culture or to whatever prevailing thought is for yes, I mean, where that you, basis you, is. Yeah. If you think about it, like the, in the new Testament, it says that we are either in Christ or in Adam. Okay, so if you are in Christ, it doesn't say, well, now that you're in Christ, now you have to do all this other work to be in in like in more no there's no more work for our reconciliation to be done again i can talk about how to walk in unity i'm up for that conversation but to say that you and i cannot be reconciled and racial reconciliation if i'm just completely blunt and open racial reconciliation is usually a lot of work that white people have to do in order to come to the table to be able to have conversations about race with black people or people of color that is not a scriptural principle it's not if we look in Ephesians 4, there's a lot of things that everyone must do. The rich, the poor, whatever your ethnic background or makeup is, we all are responsible for those things. So when we say that we are either in Christ or in Adam, those are the two groups that are available to us now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to talk about how do we walk in unity. I have one more question first, and that is you, you mentioned the concept of family and how we are family as believers reconciled to God puts us as family. Why do you think that that's, how should that change how we think and interact? If we really understand that we're family. If we really understand that we're family one, I, I believe that that will, or it should um, 
put down the barriers that we have Mm -hmm. one to another. Like I should be able to understand that, you know, this is my sister. So I'm not going to treat her, you know, poorly. I'm not going to um, believe the worst about her. I'm not going to allow someone else to come and speak negatively about my sister. You know, there are things that we do with our biological family, even when, you know, some members of our family are not believers that we will not do with believers who Christ or or who scripture says, you know, are members of our family. We don't participate with them in that same way. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And, and this is so different than what, what's, what's being thrown at us in culture right now, which is, you know, here's the groups, you know, this group talks this way, this group should talk this way, but it's such a different approach to say in Christ for family. Families, you're right, like family's There's, not perfect. Family doesn't always get along. Yeah. But we're in it together, and we're we in love it each together. together. Yes, so we're powerful. in it together. The idea of the tribalization that can come with with any of the critical social theories and the the separation and division should not be present in the church. When we look in the church, you should not look at me with suspicion inside eye because I bear black skin. And I should not be looking at you with suspicion inside eye because you have white skin. Like there is that that is not for the church. That is not mm. for family. When we look at at um, scripture, what's first is the fact that you are a child of God. So am I. We are now in the same family. Yeah. Yes. That makes so much sense. Um, and for those of you listening right now, you might, you might be thinking, okay, this sounds good, but like I teach in a public school, Mm -hmm. we're going to get to that. But I really think it's important that we lay this foundation of what is unity in the church, because everything is going to flow out of that. Just wanted to (laughs) kind of put that in there if you're, if you're thinking that. So, so let's go there. We, we kind of already started getting into it in our discussion, but how, what, what would you say, like, how do we actually then walk in unity. Um, What does that look like? Well, one, I would look at Ephesians 4. I would look at the chapter on how do we love. I would um, look back into some of the law so how does how does the law, even though we're, we are not saved by the law, you know, it, the law does instruct us how to act justly with one another. How do we love one another? Love is law. And so if I want to love you well, I need to look into the law. I can look at the Ten Commandments. I can look through the rest of Exodus and see how um, a lot of the, the Ten Commandments are thread through. And what is it? What does it truly look like? What are a, biblical examples of that? I can look again, I, like I said earlier, I'm into Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 to me is just um, a repetition of a lot of the Old Testament But I look in scripture to see how I'm supposed to treat someone. I don't go to culture to find out how I should treat someone. We have been given all that we need for life and godliness. And I know people might say, well, that's too simple or, well, she doesn't understand or, well, we have a history of racism and things like that. But if you truly look into scripture, we would understand that one, living these principles out is not a cakewalk. You know, preferring your brother or sister above yourself is not a cakewalk. Continuously walking in grace and compassion and love, offering forgiveness, that's not always a cakewalk. I think sometimes a lot of what culture offers is easier than what scripture says. But 
the scriptures offer what we need for life and godliness. We as believers need to get in and to dig it out and to understand this is what the word says. This is how I treat you. I know how to treat you because I know the word. Yeah, you're right. Like that's, it sounds like a pat answer. Oh, just follow the Bible. But that, that's, <laughs> there's so much there. I mean, if we really were living out the fruit of the spirit towards each other every day, like that's really going to change. That's going to solve so many problems. We're going to want to, you know, if someone needs to have a conversation, we're going to want to have it. If someone needs, you know, whatever, treating others the way we want to be treated is walking in humility, the Holy Spirit. I mean, yeah, there's so much there. There is so much there. Like you're so right. But when we look at the Old Testament and we get the examples or the principles for how we should treat one another, take Ruth and Boaz. Boaz didn't have nothing to do with Ruth. He didn't need nothing to do with Ruth. But the principle, one, was that she was family. How do you take care of family? And yes, they had the kinsman redeemer laws and things like that. And we don't participate according to that today. But one of the principles that we can extrapolate is that we should be taking care of family. Like there, there's a, fam- a familial principle that can be extrapolated that is transcultural. We can also see that... Um, He left the edges of his field for gleaning. So why did he leave the edges of his field for gleaning? Because there was a standard or a biblical principle for righteousness in how you treat the poor, the indigent, the the foreigner. Part of that, um, that, that call was that the edges of the field would be left so that those people could have something to eat. But I don't want to personally leave the edges of my wallet available for gleaning. I like (laughs) shoes. You know what I mean? Like, I like clothes. I like lotion and perfume. And they cost a lot of money. And so, I. but if I'm living according to biblical standards and I'm extrapolating these principles that are transcultural, so they, they, they were applicable in this culture and I can still see them being applicable in our culture, I would understand how to treat the person who is in Christ and the person who is not. I would understand how to treat the foreigner. I would understand how to treat just another image bearer. You know, there, there are many yeah. things that we should be gleaning and it's not easy. It, it People are like, well, that you, that's just a pat answer. Like you said, it's not, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of digging into scripture. Yeah. But it's working. I, I would imagine you would say it's work in partnership with the Holy spirit. Right. Because I know yes. sometimes like I've been reading the prophets lately and yeah, there's so many things in there about like admonitions for not doing justice to the poor or like not. And, and I've always asked myself, well, what does this look like? Now, what does this look like for me? And sometimes the answer is more obvious than others. Sometimes it's not so obvious. Um, but do you have any tips in that area of some, some, some of the things are so clear in scripture, <laughs> you know, be humble, don't slander, like obvious, not easy, but obvious. Other things are, are trickier. Do you have any just thoughts on working that out? Is it in conversation when prayer? I think, I think conversation and prayer. Yes. Um, I think that again, getting into the word and understanding what justice is. So many people today want to put forth um, Micah 6, Micah 6, 8, you know, Mm -hmm. do justice, act justly. Well, what is justice? 
How do I know when I'm acting justly or when I'm not? Do I look in the culture or do I look into the word to define the word justice? See, culture is giving us their definition of what justice is. I need to be an ally for all of the social theories. Any person who... Um, is quote unquote in the ism category or in the ist category, you know, so you want to look at like, um, racism, people who would be considered oppressive or the oppressor toward, you know, someone who is oppressed. What, how are we looking at LGBTQ plus? What are we thinking about child studies? What about ableist studies? How do we, how do we see um, religious studies and religious minorities? Christians are considered an oppressor group. And so in order for me to do justice, I need to be an ally with the religious minority. I need to be an ally for the child studies or the child. I need to be an ally for some groups that scripture would say, well, one, this isn't an oppressed group. Two, this is, this group is participating in sin. And so now you, by your advocacy, are participating in sin. We need to understand how do I do justice or what is the definition of justice? And then we can look back into God's law and see, well, what are the things that were unjust? What are the things that were just? So part of that is looking at um, equal weights and measures. Justice is very concerned with how we treat people according to equal weights and measures, both in a court of law, in life, you know, do not favor the rich over the poor or the poor over the rich. We can look at, you know, a tangible um, example that I usually give is like looking into low-income communities. Where are like the check cashing places that are um, charging all of this interest to poor people? Well, we see in God's law that we should not be charging interest to the poor. How is that, like that one system of, of check cashing and predatory lending preying on poor people and keeping them in poverty? I think we we can get creative, but we need to understand what the word of God says in order to be able to think transculturally about some of these principles. Right. Okay. That's really powerful. So, you know, one of the, one of the cries is, you know, where is the systemic injustice? How is it? And so you're saying go to scripture, get an understanding of it, and then take that scriptural understanding into these conversations, interpreting it through God's lens and realizing that that it might line up with what, but it might not line up and, and, and not expecting yes. it to line up. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because I think, especially for educators, the whole conversation about equity is huge and that every inequity is racist. Every inequity is an injustice, but that's not exactly true. Every inequity is not an injustice. It is not, we don't, there's, there's no verse in the Bible that says it's a sin to be poor. No one should be poor. Or no one should X. There, there, there should never be inequities. What we see is that there are righteous poor and there are righteous rich. There are unrighteous poor and there are unrighteous rich. It is what you do with what you've been given. And so even the conversation of equity and how we stand for equitable outcomes and all of that can lead down paths that may not always value the dignity, value, and worth of a human person. Wow. <laughs> I think we might have to have you on later just to have a conversation about equity because that is, um, that is like a whole, a whole thing. <laughs> Were you going to say something? Do you have a huge conversation? No, I'm yeah. going to leave that there because yeah, it will, I think we'll I think have to circle back to that another day. More questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, 
I, I think that would be really helpful. Let, let's go here next. Um, what do you think are some obstacles to racial unity um, that, you know, in the culture, but also in our own hearts that we need to, and like, how do we guard against those things? Oh goodness. There are tons of obstacles because we are <laughs> sinful humans. Um, fear and suspicion. Number one, I think we just live in a cultural moment that is filled with social media. It's filled with a lot of, well, they said situations or, um, memes or advertisements that are put out and it um, depicts certain people according to certain ways or definitions that are coming out, especially from the the critical social theories, and they automatically define people. And so as as people are being defined, you know, if I if I'm defined as the victim, if I'm defined as a criminal or a thug or, you know, whatever, because of the color of the skin I wear. Well, I don't want to be seen like that, but now I don't know what you think about me. And so now I'm a little guarded. Or if I'm consistently told, well, you know, according to critical race theory, um, the, the, the tenet of interest convergence, white people will always, you know, participate in racism or that, or racism will never be ended until it benefits the white person. If I completely believe that, and I believe that about people in the church, I'm always going to think you're racist. I'm always going to think you're out really to get me until it benefits you not to get me. If there's always a benefit for you to be a racist towards me, I'm always going to look at you with suspicion and side eye. See, this is why these things don't work in the church. In culture, people can do what they want to do. But in the church, I look at you first as my sister and I believe the best about you, that you would always want the best for me because yeah. we're family. That's something we should all like, examine our hearts for, though, right? Like, are there other times where I wonder, I, I'm suspicious, I'm fearful. I think we've all... And, and I guess if I am feeling that way, I need to work through that, right? Like I need yeah, to <laughs> have a conversation. You know, I think another thing that keeps people um, from racial unity is the fact that we just don't talk about things. Mm. We don't have real conversations. And, and if real conversations come up, people tend to, to you know, go back and, and want to cower. You know, on some level, I look at the, the history of America and I'm like, yeah, America's history was horrible. It was racist for real. <laughs> like, let's, but that's it. That's, that's in our history books. We can talk about that. We see Israel in scripture as a prize and as a prostitute. I can look at America as a prize and look at her, all of her accomplishments. And I can also look at the times when she wasn't doing too well. Yeah. And that's just the reality. Now, because, because that is America's reality, that doesn't give me a right to deem you a racist or to shame you and blame you for America's history with racism. And I think that that can be a conversation that goes back and forth. I think we also need to be able to check people who are racist. Like if you, if, if and I will use myself as an example. So I used to have high judgments against white people. I used to say things and make jokes all the time about white people. And none of my friends said anything to me. Somebody should have said, hey, Mo, you know, like, that's not cool or that's really racist. But it, I was doing it with my friends in church. Mm. So when you see people in church that, you know, and we know when people are like out of bounds with their comments, say something. And if they refuse to change to me, bring them. I would say bring them before the leadership. If you know that that there is a, 
like a car dealer in your church and he owns a car dealership and he wants to charge a certain group of people more money or he wants to treat them unjustly because of the color of their skin or their ethnic background, you need to say something to him. You need to bring him before leadership. And people might disagree, but I say if this goes unrepentant and it goes unchanged, you should treat them as an unbeliever because these are the things that scripture specifically speaks out against. It's egregious to treat one better than the other because we are all created with equal dignity, value, and worth as image bearers. Yeah, that's really clear, especially like in the the prophets and super clear. Yeah. So I think you're really right. Like sometimes we think for the sake of unity, ironically, that we need to avoid hard conversations or let things go. And there are times there, I guess that's part of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit is knowing when Mm -hmm. to engage and when not. But I think what you hit the nail on the head, when something is clear in scripture, that's where we stand. We don't, we don't, we don't go after things where that aren't clear in scripture that where God has leave late, you know, left it to each one to decide. But when scripture is clear and, and um, this area is clear, right? The way we, um, you know, bias and and preference and, and all that is, is not right. And so, well, yeah. So calling out when we see it and then being willing to have hard conversations too, with those, not that are necessarily wrong, but just when we're not sure, or when we, yeah. That's not easy, but it's it's not important, isn't it? It is very important. Also, lack of forgiveness, lack of grace. You know, you look at the the term microaggressions. Microaggressions Mm -hmm. are really a lot of assumptions. You know, if if I if we're walking in a door together and you don't hold it open for me, I automatically say, "Well, that's because she was racist." That's because you know she didn't hold it open for me because I'm black. Well, I'm assuming a motive about your heart. I'm assuming a motive about your intent instead of giving grace and saying, well, maybe she didn't see me. Maybe, you know, she was having a bad day. Maybe whatever. I can always go up to you and be like, hey, did you see me coming through the door and give Mm -hmm. you a chance to explain? You know, maybe it was like, yeah, I don't like you because you're black. Okay, cool. Now now you know. have another conversation. Now I know. (laughs) Now we're clear. But until I get that clarity, I cannot just deem you a racist. I cannot just deem your motives and actions to be racist. We we cannot, um, in scripture, we cannot just jump to a conclusion and make a judgment without evidence. Mm. That is a scriptural principle. And I think we all can, I mean, that can go really both ways too, because yeah. there's so much, yeah. I mean, you talk about stereotyping, like assuming, you know, yeah. So, so, you know, part of one of the things we're often encouraged to do is check our biases. That's like comes from culture, but would you agree with that? That that's really important to examine, you know, am I having this, this natural bias just based on skin color? Am I having this, am I, am I believing a stereotype? That is, would you say that that is important to do? Bias is such a hotbed word right now, especially like with unconscious bias and Mm -hmm. things that you don't know that you don't know. What I tend to say is you need to ask the Lord to search your heart because the heart Mm -hmm. is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So ask the Lord to search your heart and to reveal those things to you. I just had a conversation with a friend the other day and um, one of her children brought home an African-American that they were dating. and 
my friend was like, whoa, like I didn't know I had things in my heart. Like I had to go to the Lord and have a conversation. <laughs> and I was like, amen. Like, like, yes, yes, you did. Didn't you? <laughs> you know, I didn't deem my friend to be a racist. I didn't deem my friend to, to be, you know, a non-Christian that my friend went to the Lord and had a conversation with the Lord in prayer and was like, God, search my heart. Is there any wicked thing in me? Where did this come from? We all have mm-hmm. issues that we need to bring before the Lord. Some people have issues regarding race and ethnicity. Some people have issues around porn. Some people have issues around all manner of other things. I'm not going to say, well, you know, racism, that racism, that's the highest sin that you could ever, you know, possibly commit while the person next to you is struggling with porn and the person over here is struggling with gluttony and the person over here is having murderous thoughts in their heart. Sin is sin and it needs to be dealt with. Such a good word, though, like just asking God to reveal it. Like he he faithfully answers that prayer. (laughs) He'll he'll show us um, in his time. That's really good. Okay. Any other obstacles we should be aware of before we kind of move on? Um, goodness gracious. Let's see. Any other obstacles? I think there can, there, there can always be an obstacle. There can be an obstacle of wanting, wanting to be liked, you know? So if I am with a group of my friends and they all, you know, have a certain viewpoint about one ethnic group and I don't share that viewpoint, but then I have a friend who is that ethnicity who walks by and I don't talk to them. It's kind of like Peter, you know, and when, when he was the eating Jews with came. the Jews, yeah, and then, you know, or he was eating with the Gentiles and then the Jews came and he was like, hey, I, can't, I can't be seen about that. You know, it's like, how do I want people to see me? Well, the way people see you shouldn't matter. Like that, that's, that's not up for grabs. It's what is God saying? And how does God see you? And is your heart pure before the Lord and not showing partiality? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's so many more we could come there's, up with, but that's really helpful. so to... <laughs> many because we all have, we all have things that we struggle with and it's going to look different for every person. So maybe even just asking, that's another thing to pray about. Is there something that's keeping me from this? Is there something I yeah. need to need to know fear um just I I would say there are many things not you know (laughs) not wanting to be seen as not wanting to be seen as a racist so I don't want to be seen as a racist so now I don't you know interact with any other people groups Mm. because it's safe wanting to remain in in safety you know Mm. yeah that makes sense yeah Okay, let's go back to talking a little bit. Um, in Reconciled, you kind of talk, you have a section about the early church. And you talk about how in the early church, unity was really practical and it was action-oriented. Like it wasn't just a theory we like sat around and talked about. So do you have any thoughts on like, what does that look like today? Like what kind of things should we be seeking to actually do to promote unity in whatever sphere of influence we have? Well, first and foremost, unity is built around Jesus. Unity is, Jesus is our foundation and unity is built around the scriptures. And when I say the early church in the scriptures, I am talking about the historic Christian church. Um, I, in writing um, Reconciled and in my journey out of critical race theory, I went beyond the Reformation. I went back to the early church. I looked at, um, you know, how did, how did the first century church deal with issues of unity practically? And so they had all things in common. They had our conversations. Paul had to call Peter out and was like, hey, look, that's not cool. And he did it for the sake of unity. He did it so that um, 
people would not be tossed and driven by every wind of doctrine. You know, in, in Ephesians 4, the things that are laid out for us to keep our unity are so important. So it, to me, it's really going through the New Testament, going through Acts, um, Galatians, looking into Colossians, looking into to 2 Corinthians and to Ephesians, and looking at the relationship that we have and working on the principles that are there that that were meant to keep unity. And so um, I think the early church did it well because they, for them, it, there was no, hey, I'm going to go to, you know, if I don't like, you know, this church on this corner, I'm going to cross the street and go to the church on the next corner. No, they had to stay and work it out. They had to forgive. They had to give grace. They had to be gentle. They had to be kind. There were things, you know, um, do I have my Bible? Let me look at Ephesians 4 really quick. Yeah, definitely. Let me see. Um, because I, for me, Ephesians 4, I go back to a lot because it just feels so practical to me. Um, but I mean, you can look, look at the gospels, look at um, the disciples. They were, many of the disciples were cultural enemies. You had Matthew who was collecting taxes. And then you have the fishermen who Matthew probably took taxes from and patted some in his pocket with, you know, it's like, how did they do unity? They had to keep focused on Christ. They had to be gentle. He had to correct them. Like there, there are things that we can, we can look at in scripture and say, yes, this is a way that I should be keeping unity. Sorry, I'm going yeah, to. Yeah, as you find that, that's a, like a point I've never really thought about is that this takes correction. Like we shouldn't expect that, oh, it's just going to happen. Like it takes, it does take, you know, work and effort. like it takes God changing our hearts you yes. know, piece by piece and, and, and we're in it together. God gave us each yes. other to, to yes. sharpen each other. <laughs> yes. But see in a family, we just don't, you know, get up and run away. Mm-hmm. We don't just say, well, you know, I felt this microaggression. So I'm out mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, just openly declare you were racist without evidence and then leave because I don't like the style of music that's played in the church. So Ephesians 4 says, with all humility, I'm reading from verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. Um, So then he goes down to say, let me see. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created in the likeness of God and in true righteousness and holiness. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as, um, let's see, as fits the occasion 
that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God forgave you in Christ. Wow. <laughs> These aren't easy. No, like that's, that's, that's not powerful. easy. But it is, yes, it is powerful, but it's not easy. It takes practice. It takes going again. When um, that word bear with one another, that word bear, um, and actually I think it's more, more of the fuller statement, bear with, is to go again, to not give up, to stay in it, to be steadfast in your pursuit of relationship. And that is despite the sin. We don't say, well, I'm a bear with one another, you know, except for the sin of racism. Bear with one another except for, you know, for the issue of ethnic partiality. Forgive except for when it comes to racist motives. No, we have the conversation. I bring you before the leadership if necessary. We pray that your heart is changed. I don't pray for the guy addicted to porn, but not pray for the racist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that I love. I love that term. It's in it's in Colossians three too, which I love about just bear with one another. Like it just, mm-hmm. it's such it's such a good like powerful, powerful phrase. Wow, this has been so helpful. In our last few minutes, though, I want to try to take it and apply it a little bit to teachers, um, and what they're dealing with in the classroom. And I would hope. Well, first of all, I will say I hope that all of you are involved in a church. Where you're, and if you're part of a body, there's influence there. There's a sphere of influence. There's family and friends. So this is immediately applicable in your church life amongst your own family and friends and our family of believers. But let's talk a little bit about school. So this is going to look obviously very different in a Christian school versus a public school. So let's talk with about a Christian school. Do you have any thoughts about how Christian school teachers specifically can help their students understand and pursue biblical unity? Yes, to me, it starts with identity, understanding their identity, understanding the identity of an image bearer. What does what has been spoken over image bearers from the beginning and then understanding your identity as a child of God? So those are two different things. And then we can talk about ethnic identity or your cultural or regional identity you know, at the end, but understanding that all humans are created with equal dignity, value, and worth. That means that I don't treat one better than I treat someone else, because just like me, I am created in the image of God. Now, when we bring that into a Christian setting, you know, we hope and pray that all of the children in that setting are also, you know, children of God, that they they have a relationship with God. And so in that, how do we um, speak into their identity as children of God? And from there, we look into the word of, well, what does the word say? How should I treat this person? How should we participate together in our class? Because we are a, you know, a unit or we are a group that, that this is our little micro family, so to speak. How do I treat um, the person sitting next to me as a brother or sister? Explaining why does the word call us brothers and sisters? Helping children to thread through some of these um, core principles as truth. I think another huge component is helping children understand objective truth. 
You know, what is true versus what is an opinion, what is a lie and all of those things will help to build a foundation for for unity. I don't think that many children understand the idea of truth, capital T truth versus, you know, well, this is culture's idea or this is, um, you know, someone's opinion. So looking at identity to me is is. The, a big foundational principle or, or um, need. We need to talk about identity if we want to talk about unity, because I have no reason to treat you as a brother or sister if I don't understand, one, that you've been created in God's image, just like me, and two, what it means to now be a child of God. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are, that's great. So just teaching these things to them and and having the conversations with them just as we're able Mm -hmm. to. Would you say that for older students, your reconciled curriculum is something that maybe like a class would want to do together if they're in like maybe high school or or so? Yeah, I would say probably grade nine and up. Um, If it's a small enough group and you thread it through um, long enough, like I, it's a six week curriculum. I, if I'm working with eighth, ninth graders, probably through high school, I would probably thread that out to be 12 to 15 weeks so that they can really ask questions, you know, chew on it. They can look at what culture is saying. You know, I've um, taken some of the, the questions from the lesson and, you know, ask them to high schoolers and you immediately see their their mind spinning and they're immediately able to give you answers based on what they see in culture. Mm. I think our kids, our young people are definitely ahead of the game in the conversation and they're wanting to have the conversation. And again, we don't have to shy away from the reality of America's history, but I don't condemn, shame, slander, blame you or, you know, your family or things like that today for what happened in our history. I think that's important for young people to understand because if I am always, if, if like, if I was white and I'm always the oppressor, how do I get to unity? Mm. And if I'm black and I'm always consistently oppressed and living in that narrative, how do I get to, to unity? There's um, a, a dividing wall there that's consistently there that, we, you know, as, as kids, they wouldn't be able to knock down. And so, you know, how do I now as a young person participate in getting to unity if I am constantly oppressed or the oppressor? Yeah. So having this kind of teaching them, working through this with them. Yeah. Wow. That's really, really powerful. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that. Okay. Public schools. (laughs) This is a whole different challenge because as we've been talking about Really, the the true path to unity is through Jesus, the son. So maybe this is this is this is almost a two part question, because I guess almost a leading into this question is what is your take on? We've talked we've been talking all about unity within the church. And you've shared a little bit of how, like, I don't know. This is a question I just wrestle with myself a lot. Like, what is is there a place like do we do we then or how do we or do we even try to take that unity outside of the church? like? You know what I mean? Like, that's really tricky because we obviously want to pull everyone in, but Christians are also called to be salt and to influence mm-hmm. culture as we can. I think of abolitionists. I think, of, you know, people that impacted history. Um, should we, or, and how should we might be too big of a question, take this outside of the church? Well, I think that if I am in, um, in a 
community where I am wanting to bring these principles outside of the church community, um, I would look at it as an evangelistic tool first. Mm. You know, I don't think many people in culture define unity the way that we do in scripture. I also don't think that many people outside of the church or people who are not believers define justice the way that we do or the way that, you know, scripture does in in the word. And so I would look at it as, as an evangelistic tool. I would say within the classroom, while you can't go and say, well, you know, in the book of John, it says, you know, what you can do is look at the, the transcultural principles that we we see and uphold those principles in your class. So if people are treating one another unequally, have a rule in your class that we treat everyone equally. Why do we treat everyone equally? Because we are all humans. There is not one human in here that is better than another human. They don't need to, to, you don't have to go into the idea of Genesis one, where, you know, we are all created in God's image. We have equal dignity, value, and worth. You know, you don't have to do that. You can just uphold the rule that in my class, we treat everyone equally. Um, you can uphold like patience. We give grace. We ask for forgiveness. You know, these are are things that just don't help us because we're Christians. They they're good life rules and principles to live by as well. So that would be um, that would be one of the ways I think that you can maybe able to uphold, you know, some of our Christian principles within the classroom and they could potentially lead in to unity, to helping to build unity among a community. And I really think that it's more of an evangelistic tool than the ontological unity that we see in scripture. Yeah. So I want to just say one, I think that evangelistic tool is, I, I don't want you teachers to think, well, I can't, I can't evangelize in the classroom and miss how powerful that is though in our conversations with coworkers, with, hmm. with neighbors, with, you know, people, we, our friends, unsafe yeah. friends, like you're right. Like when this conversation comes up, it's an opportunity to share with them where our unity is found. Like that is, yeah, really yes. great evangelistical and I completely understand like you know the the separation and how a, a, a teacher could not evangelize in her classroom but that doesn't mean that you can't plant the seeds yes you know that yes. that those students aren't fertile soil for seeds that are being planted you don't have to go and say well in John 1 1 you know like in the beginning was the word and you know no but what are the seeds that you're planting you are planters and so as you're planting seeds you plant the seed of patience or the fruit of the spirit you plant those seeds in your kids and then you pray that God sends someone along to water and to harvest those seeds yeah. So that's great. So all the things you've been talking about, all these principles, we want to, we want to pray about how God, how can I take these things and incorporate them into my classroom? How can I teach these things to my students in a way that I'm allowed to, what can I, yeah. Instead of focusing on what we can't asking, what can I do? And I think God will really show that to you. Um, one last question about public schools. And we were talking about this a little bit before, but a lot of, um, a lot of teachers are facing right now um, situations where um, they're being asked to participate um, in critical race theory trainings or in some cases actually implement um, mm -hmm. practices that really are what we've been talking about, the, the dividing wall. <laughs> and um, do you have any do you have any um, advice for them um, that, you know, they're you know, just with with all that's that's going on with that? 
Yeah, um, I think it, teachers are going to have to take a stand, you know, and, and this isn't to, you know, as a non-teacher to be flippant or, you know, just tell you, well, you just stand. No, I think that teachers are going to at some point and it's already coming in, you know, be asked to, to teach things that are antithetical to scripture. And at that point, there's going to have to, there's going to come a time where there's going to be a choice. Like, am I going to choose this road or am I going to choose that road? And that is a very hard thing. One, it's a hard thing for me to say, but then two, I know it's, it's hard decisions for every teacher's heart. My encouragement, um, I, and I wish that this was open broader because what I believe needs to happen is that faith communities, churches need to rally around teachers because they are in the thick of it. Talk about being on the front lines. They are on the front lines. And so how do we as Christians who are not in the educational sphere come and rally around a teacher? How do we, when that teacher is forced to, you know, teach that LGBTQ plus or abortion is the right way to go. And they say, no, I'm not going to teach that. And they lose their job. How do we as the faith community having all things in common, like they did in the early church, say, you know what? I got your mortgage this month. How do we have funds um, within our churches that go to help what, um, what is truly an injustice for some? So I think that it's it's a bigger conversation of what can we do as a community um, of faith together, because I don't necessarily know that I see things shifting for the Christian teacher in the public education sphere. Um, and I wish I had a, a, a rosier, better answer than that. But I do think that it is going to be um, the call to Christians in, in a broader sphere, you know, looking at, at the church as how do we support those in our community who are now, you know, being forced with the decision of, do I keep my job and go along with, you know, potential sin and wickedness, or do I risk losing my job standing for the faith? Yeah. And those aren't easy questions because there's so many nuances, but I, mm -hmm. you're so, you're so right. And I mean, I just took away a whole, whole bunch of things from there, but I think recognizing, first of all, that like we are entering a post-Christian era. We're going to be talking about this in another session with Alistair Begg, how like it, it's, it's not going to get better. We can wish, but it's, it's, we are entering an area where we're not going to be comfortable as Christians, where, where our way of thinking is not going to be the prevailing thought anymore, like recognizing that's where we are. And then when we get to those situations, um, I think that's that advice to engage the large, the church as a whole, be, be going to our pastors, be going to our small groups in our community and like seeking their, I mean, maybe we'll need their financial help, but their advice and their prayers and their, their support. Yeah. And maybe, maybe an early step is forwarding this message on to your pastor, this session yeah. and saying, Hey, check this out. I think you'll find it really helpful. Yeah. Really I think it's going to call for the church to consider how we are doing life with one another as family. And again, that's why I look back at the early church, because the early church, people were selling things. People were coming together so that they had all things in common so that people did not have need. They were able to give. That's why at the end of Ephesians 4, it says, um, you know, that the thief should now work so that he has something to contribute. You know, yeah, like these are these are the principles that we would have all things in common. And 
you know, there, there are a lot of obstacles to that in our current cultural moment. Um, I'll be honest, my own comfort, you know, like I like my own comfort. I don't know that I want to sell my stuff so that we can have all things in common. And yet, when I look at the early church as a model for family, as a model for unity, this is exactly what was done. Yeah. Wow, Monique, thank you so much. Do you have any just kind of final words or words or advice before we finish up? Goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Well, if you want to stay connected with us, you can check us out at centerforbiblicalunity.com. Sign up for our mailing list. You will receive a um, free conversation once you sign up between myself, my ministry partner, Krista Bontrager, Neil Shinvi, and Pat Sawyer on systemic racism and systemic injustice. So that can be a resource for you. Just sign up at centerforbiblicalunity.com wait two seconds and our mailing list um, sign up will pop up or you can get connected with us on Facebook or Instagram at Center for Biblical Unity. Just type that in the search bar and we will pop up. And then I would say, um, you know, lastly, thank you. As educators, thank you so much for what you do. You are truly on the front lines. And we, me, you know, I here at the Center for Biblical Unity, my ministry partner, Krista, we appreciate all that you do. We know it's not easy. We know that, um, you know, I, I myself could not fully understand all that you have to endure with conversations, trainings, you know, the lives of children and things like that. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Monique. And yes, I definitely recommend following the Center for Biblical Unity, getting on their list. They have so many helpful resources just, and I think that drip over time, just, you know, like get, getting it in your mind and, and just always pointing us back to scripture and helping us reorient our thinking. You're, you've been a real blessing, Monique, and I really thank oh, you. Thank and, you. And we'll link to, we'll link to their website and uh, her uh, new curriculum reconciled under this as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Monique. Do you mind if I pray for, um, for us and for your ministry before yes. we go? Yes. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this summit and the ability and all the teachers that you brought to this moment and that are listening to this right now. I pray that you will, um, first of all, bless the teachers. Father, give them clarity, give them wisdom. May they know that you are with them. May each of us help each of us reveal in our hearts where there is where there is sin, where we are not treating each other right as family. Show that to us. Show us how we can um, best serve our students and help them in this area and give us courage um, as we face uh, and peace as we go into the future. Thank you so much for Monique and her ministry. I pray that you will bless it, continue to grow it, um, give her clarity and insight and grace and courage um, and strength each and every day, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Monique. Thanks. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Monique and found it helpful. I know it probably brought up a lot more questions as well, which is the mark of good learning, right? It leaves you wanting more and wanting to learn more. And so we'd love to continue the conversation with you over in our Facebook group at teachfortheheart.com slash Facebook. I also encourage you to follow Monique and the Center for Biblical Unity. You can find them on social media or on their website at centerforbiblicalunity.com. One final thing, if you found this episode helpful or insightful, help us spread the word. Help us get out this 
important message of biblical unity and what it really looks like um, by sharing this episode um, with a friend or colleague. Whether they're a teacher or not, I think they'll find this conversation very relevant. And so you can find this episode at teachfortheheart.com slash 179, teachfortheheart.com slash 179. Uh, You'll find a link to this episode as well as some notes about it. And that's an easy way to share it with friends or colleagues. Well, thank you guys again so much. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. In the meantime, keep growing, keep trusting. You really are making a difference.